The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to the Titan Size Podcast. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of the Titan Size Podcast, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. We are here to recap a Titans victory over the Houston Texans uh, from Sunday. One of the uh, best coaching performances I've ever seen. And we'll get more into the offense in a minute. We're going to start off by talking about the defense. But before we do, I'll just say this. You know, the Titans went into this game absolutely decimated. No one gave him a chance, especially when Dennis Kelly went in the hospital and it was going to be Blaine Gabbert at quarterback and, and Kevin Palmfield and Tyler Merritt, who's never played NFL game at tackle. No one gave him a chance, including me. I thought it was going to be an absolute disaster. But the team, uh, you know, they were very resilient. That's such an overused phrase, but in this situation, it's warranted. They were resilient. They went in there, they got the job done, but a lot of credit should go to their, their coaching staff for having the perfect game plan. Let, let, let's start by talking, though, about the defense because they were completely healthy in this game for the Titans. They were able to do some nice stuff against Deshaun Watson, but let's start with the, the front seven. There were some times where it looked like Watson had a lot of time to throw, especially when they played more off coverage early in the second half. But when, it, when the Titans' defense needed pressure, they got it. Uh, yeah, um, I think we kind of saw... Um, how big of an impact Harold Landry can have um, in limited snaps. Although he did play, he, he did play a good amount of snaps. I think around a little bit more than half. Um, but not having him in that first game against the Dolphins, also having uh, a gimpy Derek Morgan and Arakpo, who had been dealing with a shoulder injury for much of much of the offseason, much of training camp. Um, I think you saw what this, what this front seven is really capable of. Um, and this is without our first round pick, Rashawn Evans, who 
who didn't even play on on defense in this game, although he was he was active for the game. Um, I think going forward, this front seven could be could be huge for the team. Um, and the defense really looks good. I know, like maybe I get really frustrated just because they give up a lot of easy completions. Um, and a lot of that may be due to uh, being wary of, of being beaten deep. Um, but they've only given up, uh, they gave up seven, only 17 points in this game. Um, and the defense only gave up 21 um, in the game against the Dolphins because uh, the Dolphins scored uh, on a kick return or punt return. I can't even remember what it was. I think it was a kick return. So the defense looks good. Um, they're kind of in the mold of the bend but don't break. Uh, but if they keep getting pressure like they did against the Texans, um, which I don't know if it's going to be possible because the Texans have one of the worst offensive lines I've ever seen. Um, but hopefully it does keep up. And if they do, um, they're gonna, they're probably going to be one of the best um, defenses in terms of, of points allowed per game. Um, so I'm really excited to see um, if they could keep it up in the future. Yeah, so um, Jarrell Casey had a great day, which is nice. Uh, it, it really looked like the Titans have depth as far as people who can rush the passer for the first time in a long time. Uh, for the first time in forever. Sorry, I had to do that. <laughs> so, Kamala uh, uh, Correa has two sacks, which is tied for the team lead. Um, they just look good. Like, they look good. Uh, and it's a weaker offensive line for the Texans, so... How much of that was them? How much of that was Watson holding the ball? Yada, yada, yada. But, you know, you can only judge by what you see. And Harold Landry looks real. Like like a real, not a Kevin Dodd has potential that never comes to fruition or not a late-round guy who has one really good trait. I mean, Harold Landry looks like a real guy who deserved to be a top-ten pick who yeah. just – default you know it's so funny before the draft you know we, we sat around when we did our, our live mock draft and you know as, as we talked about the various positional groups in preparation we kept saying like well you know we the titans can forget about harold landry at pick 18 because you know he's that prototype third down yeah. bend guy he's not gonna last till 18 and they got him in the second round they got him like 20 picks after 18 and it yeah. blew didn't my we, mind. We traded up for him, didn't we, in our mock yeah. draft? Yeah, with the I, it was me because I had the Seahawks pick, and I traded yeah, up yeah. to like fourteen or fifteen because I'm like, well, in real life, you know, this could happen. I could not, I, I could not believe that he fell that far. So think about think about this. The uh, and we're just completely we're into draft talk now. The New Orleans Saints <laughs> traded their future first round pick to move up. And get yeah, Marcus Davenport yeah. when they could have stayed where they were and yeah, gotten Harold Landry. Well, I was the, never a huge fan of Davenport anyway. Like I didn't. Yeah, really I mean, I, me neither. I, I like Davenport because, and I'm one of the few because I think he has a lot of athletic tools you can use. But I liked him as the third pass rusher off the board before there was a big drop off before number four. Like I, I didn't like him ahead of Landry or Chubb or anything like that, but. I thought if Chubb and Landry both went in the top 10, that if you were picking top 20, he was a guy that you were, you would be okay settling for. Not somebody you'd trade a future first-round pick for when you could get Landry. So I, I I don't know what that was about, but it's just another reason why you should be a big fan of John Robinson. And there's been some weird pushback on John Robinson lately uh, in my mentions, which is crazy. Uh, I think. I think people see like the highlights of draft classes for other teams and freak out because 
the Titans don't have somebody that's going to go to the Hall of Fame or something like that. But uh, we can talk about this later, but it's it's insane. And going back to the uh, game on Sunday, Kamala Correa, who was traded for, you know, a week before the season started, they gave up a sixth round pick and he has two sacks. I mean, if he ends up being a guy with five or six sacks that pairs with Harold Landry and, you know, is a competent player, it'll be more than what we got out of Dodd with a second round pick. So, it's it's well worth that trade, and he looks like he's going to be a guy that they re-sign and try to keep long-term. Yeah, I, I tweeted about him last night. Just It, it just looks like another really sly uh, move by John Robinson, um, which he's made a lot of. Um, and Correa was actually um, the highest-graded tight end on defense. Um, actually, I think highest-graded tight end in general um, by PFF standards. Uh, and I was just looking through some of the pressure numbers. Um, and P- PFF does their own tracking. Um, but but on 67 offensive snaps for the Texans, uh, the Titans got pressure on 30 of them. Um, and those pressures are sacks, hits, and, and hurries. Um, and if you look at the, the Texans defense on 60 offensive snaps for the Titans, the Texans only got pressure on five. And we were playing with our fourth and fifth string tackle. Well, and we'll, so. we'll talk about, you know, just how – well, that was schemed up. Uh, a, a couple things first. Number one, how crazy is it that so John Robinson with pick thirty-two of that year's draft took Kevin Dodd, didn't work out, wasn't a good player. So he just says, ah, "I probably should have taken that Korea guy instead." Gives up nothing for him, and now he has him, and he's good. Like, yeah, what cool. the world? Like, <laughs> you just yeah. that doesn't happen. I, I mean. Rarely do – okay, so a lot of things have to fall in place for that to work. So uh, the Ravens have to be so stacked at edge and linebacker. Which, that which they according to spot. like all of the Ravens beat writers, that's the only reason they traded him because yeah, they were yeah. just so, stacked. So he, like, Robinson's got to find a market inefficiency and that they have too many people and they aren't going to be able to keep him. So they, he reads out, reaches out and trades for a guy who he's been watching and he's kind of been second-guessing and saying, I should have taken that guy, gets him for a pick that he probably would have used to trade around yeah. or something anyway. And, you know, ends up with a guy who's better than anybody the Titans are going to get on day three in all likelihood. So, I mean, it's it's another, you know, it's just so impressive. Also, seventh-round picks. I, I think it was a six, but just in general, seventh-round picks are like the most overrated commodity in football. Yeah. They're so pointless. But anyway, so my second point, back to draft talk for just a second. I'm, I'm tired of this Honor Landry stuff, but I do want to go ahead and just reiterate. When, when the Titans drafted Harold Landry, I think we all knew it was going to be Landry. Like on day one, when, the, when they traded up to whatever pick they took uh, Evans at, I remember I said to UT, I'm like, it's going to be Rashawn Evans. They're not taking Harold Landry here. And then the second round, we all three were like, oh, this has got to be Harold Landry. And then when Vince Young got up there and announced that pick, I was sitting there huh. in my living room. And I, I think I said out loud, no one else was there. I'm like, who? Like, I legitimately did not understand what he just said. I was like, Honor Landry. I'm like, they took who? So, with Her- uh, I, now I, my mind went to, they took him with Harold Landry on the board? And then they pulled up the <laughs> highlight video. I'm like, oh, they took what? <laughs> um, for whatever reason, uh, it came up on my phone. I usually don't have my phone, but for whatever reason, I had my phone out and I had it faced up. And it popped up on my screen before I saw it live. Uh-huh. And so it was like Harold mm. Lane drafted by Titans. And I'm glad it did because like Vince Young's mumbling would have like freaked me out. 
But if people forget, everybody was connecting us to Josh Sweat in the first round and <laughs> Sam Hubbard in the second round. <laughs> like, don't don't forget. I'll that, never forget that. I mean, I the, never uh, understood that. Yeah, like there was a chance that if everybody was, you know, drawing up these connections that weren't real, if they had accidentally stumbled upon it, that they were thinking that the Titans were going to take one of those guys in the first or second round and the Titans wouldn't have Harold Landry. So to me, it was not a given. Like it was the right thing to do. It was the thing I would expect John Robinson to do because it's just the smart move. But it, even even when the Titans traded up, the broadcast said, you know, they did the whole, who do you think this is? And they're like, well, you know, Sam Hubbard was at Ohio State when Vrabel was at Ohio State and they've got a connection and I know he really likes him, which turns out is nonsense. So is so, Zach Smith. Do you think Vrabel's going to bring Zach Smith in here? Yeah. So, I, I mean, it, it was it was scary and I'm glad it happened the way it did. But, you know, it wasn't a layup for me. I was I'm never calm at draft time and I was very tense for both of those trades and picks. OK, so yeah, that, oh, go ahead. it was nerve wracking. No, I was just going to say it was a nerve-wracking yeah, draft. Yeah, definitely. And I look forward to our draft coverage uh, again. It's always fun at the end of the season. Oh, yeah. Um, but So, Matisse, you made a point a couple minutes ago where you said, you know, this could turn out to be one of the better defenses in the NFL. And I think you're absolutely right because from a personnel standpoint, you know, the Bears, I would say, probably have the best front seven in the NFL. And, you know, maybe the Rams have the best secondary. I don't know. that The Titans just have a lot of talent at a lot of different places. Um, the Bears are so strong up front, but I don't know that I could name any of their DBs other than Fuller, who's been so inconsistent. But, I mean, the Titans, you've got Arakpo and Morgan, Correa and Landry as your pass rushers. You've got Jarrell Casey, who's among the most disruptive defensive players in the league. Mm-hmm. And and you've got Daquan Jones and Benny Logan who both you know can play their roles pretty well too. Yeah. You know, not all world, but you can do a lot with that. Then you go to the linebackers, and you've got Jayon Brown who's great in coverage. You've got Wesley Woodyard who's already playing really well this year. Uh, you've got Rashawn Evans, the first round draft pick. You've got Will Compton, and then you move to the secondary, and you've got All Pro Kevin Byard. You've got Kenny Vaccaro, former first round draft pick. And then you've got Butler, Ryan, and, and Jackson in the secondary. I mean, from a personnel standpoint, when this defense is on, they should be really on. And through two weeks, I think it's fair to say they have been. Yeah, coming into the season, um, it just looked like a fantastic defense on paper. It looked like, from a talent standpoint, um, they had the chance to maybe be a top 5-10 to 10 unit um, in the league. And we've kind of been seeing that um, despite them giving up um, a lot of yards, they're just not giving up points, and they're they're not really um, giving up huge plays outside of outside of uh, Malcolm Butler, who's given up a couple of big plays. But even on those two plays, um, on the Stills touchdown and the, and the Will Fuller touchdown um, this past week, uh, Butler has been right there. And if he just gets his hand up a little bit closer and just knocks that ball away, we're not even talking about him struggling at all. Um, so I, I'm I'm just not really worried about him. Um, even though he has seemed to be maybe one of the weak spots, um, to many fans, uh, I'm just not worried. And I think he's going to figure it out. Um, and I mean, we talked about this before, um, Butler shouldn't be playing. He shouldn't be covering Kenny Stills and Will Fuller to begin with 100%. because that, that's not his game at all. And we um, said that we said that on Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. In the preview. Yeah. We literally said, um, just don't put him on Will Fuller, um, because he doesn't have the speed to match him. Um, and I just wonder why the coaching staff 
um, deemed it necessary to put him on Fuller when you have a Dory Jackson um, who's a burner on the other side. Um, and I want to talk a, b- a little bit about a Dory Jackson because, I mean, it, it's just awesome to see him get his first career interception. Um, but in the Dolphins game, I saw him a little bit tentative and not as aggressive um, as I'd like to see. And I thought in this game, um, he played with a lot of aggression, um, really good at the catch point, um, and his interception was just fantastic. Amazing, amazing play on the ball. Um, and I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how he does this season because, um, like I think Will has said, um, this could be kind of a Kevin Byer type of breakout where he gets no picks um, his first year, and then they all come in bunches the second year. And I hope that's the case uh, for Dory this year. Yeah, pass breakups almost always – you know, if you've got an an insurmount like a fifteen uh, pass breakups, which is what I think he had, like just the law of averages eventually says that those pass breakups are going to turn into interceptions. It just usually happens that way because if you can affect a pass and you've got good technique and good athleticism and can get in position, usually you can turn your head around at certain points and get passes. So. I think we always knew that these were coming, but it's nice that it came from Watson, the same person who threw a pick to Byard last year to start off his interception streak. I mean, it's all kind of symmetrical in that Byard was really good at breaking up passes, You know, did everything well, just like a Dory does, good run support, good athleticism, good pass breakups, and he converted that in his second year a lot like a Dory's starting to now. And the way he did it was interesting because he went up over – uh, New Hopkins, like at one of the best, you know, high point, strong hands guys in the NFL, went over him and just took it from him. So, I mean, how many times have we seen Bryce McCain or Bleedy Way Ray Wilson or somebody else just get absolutely destroyed and made look like a fool in that situation? Like, oh yeah, and that, I mean, Andy you, Dalton did it to like Bleedy say what Ray you want Wilson. about those players, but like, you know, good, bad, or whatever. But it was just like. To see a matchup that usually goes the other way be turned and just clearly like, okay, that's what a top corner should do. You know, it's great. And it's great for, you know, the Titans to have a first-round pick who's, you know, a corner, which is an up-and-down position. I mean, you see guys like Drake or Patrick and, you know, Artie Burns and all these guys who just fall by the way. Vernon Hargraves, like guys with bigger names and who for whatever reason get drafted and don't work, like – We've been through so many just truly, truly bad cornerbacks. I think we really need to appreciate um, just how good and talented the cornerbacks that we have are. Um, and the fact that I think the Dory Jackson pick, I mean, I said it before, I, I was skeptical about it, how, how his game would translate um, actual cornerbacking abilities. Um, but you see so many, so many drafted cornerbacks that just aren't panning out. I mean, Trey Waynes is playing on the Vikings, but he's so inconsistent. Um, that's a first-round pick um, a couple of years ago. Um, and then you have players like Eli Apple, Vernon Hargraves, like like you mentioned. Um, and they're just—it's—it's it's a very hit or miss position, um, just like a lot of the draft is. Um, and John Robinson just seems to really have nailed it with a Dory Jackson. And um, I, I and think the, I think he took the right approach in that. Now, granted, this is not what I would have done at the time, and I think we all – I know you definitely had Tredavious White ahead of Tory mm-hmm. Jackson that year. But, yeah. you know, a lot of times with that position, you're tempted to be like, well, okay, this is the safer guy. This is the guy that's better in coverage right now. 
But, like, a lot of times at the quarterback position, if you want an elite guy or at least, you know, a really good guy, you got to get someone that's an explosive athlete. And credit to John Robinson for saying, you know, Adoree Jackson is the smallest guy in this class, and, you know, he, he hasn't – he doesn't – he's not great right now. He's very raw, but he's explosive, and I can work with that. Whereas, like, Tredavious White's ceiling, he probably hit it last year, you know? Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Um, it, it's not just Tredavious White. I mean, there were a lot of cornerbacks in that draft that just really weren't great athletes, um, but they were really good cornerbacks in college. I mean, um, players like Awuzie is one of those guys. Yeah, yeah. Awuzie, um, Sidney Jones also, although he was dealing with an Achilles injury. Um, uh, Quincy Wilson from UF. And then the other UF guy, Tease Tabor, <laughs> oh who ran a 4-7. Um, and there's a video of him um, from yesterday getting just absolutely worked by Dante Pettis, who ran like a, a high 4-3 or something like that. Was, so I, I don't know who that is, Dante Pettis. Yeah. He's a receiver from Washington. Um, he's a rookie uh, for the Niners, um, and he just absolutely smoked Tis Tabor. He plays uh, for the Lions, right? Tabor on our route. Tabor, yeah. Oh my gosh. So it, it just, yeah, no, of course he does. <laughs> but I mean, if you're drafting a, a quarterback that's running a four-seven, what what is this? What is the upside there? Even in the second round, it, it just didn't make sense. Yeah, like what are you trying to do? I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> Just maybe you get a good special teams player in the future. Nickel corner, I guess. Maybe I he know. can maybe he can develop speed. Okay, what's going on? Not even we were talking about we're, to... we were just continuing your discussion about the the Titans hitting on a Dory Jackson, whereas other teams have missed miserably on cornerbacks. Because they don't understand how to use analytics and stuff like that. Yes. Yeah, we were kind of talking about like, you know, explosive profiles versus like cover profiles. <sighs> That's interesting. Uh, there's there's a metric I use to kind of figure out which defensive backs uh, John Robinson alike, and uh, it's it's a mix of production and athleticism. So I mean, I think you can kind of tell who the good ones are going to be, especially like you know if they come out and run a four eight, or if they've never had an interception in college. Like th- these are red flags that are important, but not you know you have to look at the grander scheme. But I don't know. Yeah, I'm not drafting a four-rate corner. It's, it's just not happening. No. <laughs> All those guys have to go to Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who? who uh, what did Butler run at his pro day? Because surely he didn't get invited to the combine. Four-five? Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. It seems right. I'm kind of talking. Matias is our crack research team. Let's see if he can yeah. get me to it. Give me a second here to really crunch the numbers. I wonder what Logan Ryan ran also. 4-6-2 for Malcolm Butler. Well, yeah, I just saw 4-6. That is not good. Yeah, Logan Ryan? What, what, what was his heart measurement, you know? <laughs> his, he's all <laughs> he's, he's got five-star heart. That's he's right. Five, six. Four or five, six for Logan Who Ryan. Who in the world? Logan Ryan's headshot does not look like him. Yeah, right? I just saw that. Like, looks completely... Like, I would not recognize that guy if he were on the street. I wouldn't even be like, hey, you look like Logan Ryan. Like, <laughs> You'd be like, hey, you know you definitely don't look like is Logan Ryan, a corner for the Titans. And <laughs> here. Um, so... 
Let's hop in to uh, to the offense for the Titans because I was so impressed with the scheme that uh, that Matt Lafleur and uh, and those guys were able to put together. Just, I mean, I was amazed. You know, it was the Wildcat. It was the fact that they kept everything short and and you know kept the pressure neutralized. As a result. The one time they tried to run like a naked boot, it was almost a complete disaster. Um, but Gabbert got out of it. And, you know, Gabbert game managed, but he did make – that throw he made to Tajay Sharp on third down on the last drive, that was a big boy NFL throw. Yeah, like, and it was that good. That was impressive. Start. He also had a couple plays where he rolled out, um, squared his body up, and, and found a receiver. So that, that um, was interesting. Like when he squared, like just while you're talking about that, like him squaring up his shoulders was something that, like, it's a veteran thing to do, and it's like mm-hmm. small and shows poise under pressure, not to just kind of sling it off balance. Like I, I was surprised in that situation that he was as calm as he was. Yeah, yeah, he he didn't seem to get rattled at all, really. Um, and I think that's kind of a testament to just him being a, a, a true veteran, um, which feels so weird to say, but but he really is a veteran at this point. I know, um, right? It, it feels weird, right? You know, it's funny. I yeah. asked him after the game yesterday, I said, you know, how much of an effort was made throughout the week to make sure that you were going to be comfortable? And he looked me dead in the eyes. He said, this isn't my first rodeo. I'm yeah. Like, oh, my God. You know, he's right. You know, you forget that he's been in the league for seven years now. It's crazy. Yeah. He's only 28, though. Like, that doesn't – that's crazy. Jimmy Garoppolo's like 26. It's really not that much of a difference. But, but a um, difference in the play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's for sure. If they had Jimmy um, Garoppolo, they would not have had to alter the offense yesterday. Yeah, agreed. Um, <laughs> Joe, as much as, like, Gabbert, like, didn't – can't get a lot out of the offense, um, I think he's just way better than Matt Castle. Because Matt Castle oh, yeah, totally. just – could not do anything. He couldn't move the offense at all. He couldn't throw and, and he couldn't move. And in addition, he would turn the ball over, uh, yeah. which is something that Gabbert really uh, didn't do in this game. And I thought that was that was probably the main takeaway. Um, he didn't turn the ball over, um, and the Titans in general didn't turn the ball over. And I think that's a big reason why uh, we were able to actually come away with a win. It's it's interesting because, you, you know, we watched the Miami game, and Gabbert didn't really play well at all so that's i think that's why we were scared but you know the matt give all the credit in the world to this coaching staff and matt lafleur because he said okay you can't do this so this is what we're going to do instead and gabbert bought in and you know there were no seven step drop deep throws because that would have been stupid in something out of the old team's playbook like there was no dumb gimmicky play no no double reverses just just nothing nothing really weird other than that wildcat which was a stroke of genius because it worked perfectly i, I mean awesome got positive yeah. yardage on every play yeah it which is crazy like it's like there's i don't know how many runs there are in a game where you have eight in a row that get positive yards so i mean kudos to them because that i mean the way the offense worked is they went out and tested it with the first drive uh punted which turned into the fake punt scored then they went out the second drive intent on moving the ball with the wildcat and they absolutely did and it put them in scoring position and you know that they did great so uh, you know you can't fault them for that as gimmicky as it was it was the right call for the situation and this thing that uh i don't think we talked about enough is 
it seems like a mistake at first glance, but Deion Lewis didn't get a pass thrown to him, I think is the stat, which is – okay, so it sounds crazy, but it's the exact thing you want to do because – the defense was playing very, you know, keep everything in front of you and drive as soon as the ball's in the air because it's going to be short. So if there was going to be a screen pass, they would have definitely sniffed it out. I mean, after the first Taewon Taylor screen pass, they were all over him too. So it wasn't something that could have been used in the game a lot because you're trusting fourth and fifth string offensive tackles to go out there and Mm – you know, run and block and be where they're supposed to be and everybody be on the same page. And instead of doing that, they just ran the ball. And it wasn't incredibly efficient, but it was what they needed to do, and it kept them from making the big mistake, and it, you know, ended up winning them the game. So I I give all the credit in the world to this coaching style. It is funny, though, looking at the stat sheet after yesterday's game, that as good as Gabbert was and they didn't turn the ball over – he was surpassed in terms of quarterback rating by both Kevin Byard and Derrick Henry. <laughs> yeah, that is that funny. Is, and like, I, I remember looking at that after me and like, what pass did Derrick Henry throw? But it was yeah, a yeah. one. It just it ended up being a forward pass. Yeah, which is, I mean, okay. So while we're talking about it, there was another time where they almost did that same thing, and there was illegal motion or something where. <laughs> The Pines. ball, hit, yeah, the ball hit Taiwan in motion, like inside yeah, the. Yeah, that 20. was a disaster. <laughs> that was terrifying, and the crowd watching it because I but was. I think like, it only happened because the flag had been thrown. Yeah, I hope. Well, I hope. Derek, and, and, Derek held on to it anyway. Yeah, he he immediately got it. So like, okay. it was fine, but like, it, it was one of those moments where if luck wasn't on our side and it had happened like that. I've seen in so many times in the past where the Titans just make a mistake. Like when it looked like Gabbert threw a backward pass because it got tipped backwards by Rashard Matthews. And I, I mean, it did not look like a backwards pass when it was thrown to me. See, I acted like they just won the Super Bowl after that play. I just, I don't know. Yeah. And just to, to heap a little bit more praise on the floor, um, those two, the two of the biggest plays in the game, um, were two screen passes. Um, the one to to Taewon, um, it, it was pretty well designed, well blocked. Uh, Taewon just fantastic run after the catch, really. Um, but the screen pass to Corey Davis was perfectly timed, perfectly executed, and perfectly designed. Um, I, I've seen it back a couple of times, and it was just really. Really, really well designed. Um, and Corey Davis also really pl- played. Um, he played well, um, in my opinion. Um, earned a game ball for for just just really coming out, being being aggressive, um, and, and making plays. Um, but particularly on that screen pass, just really ran angry. Um, fa- found some seams in the defense um, and got the yardage that we really needed. Uh, almost lost us the game by fumbling, but thankfully it went out of bounds. So thanks to Deion Lewis, who did a yeah, great, yeah, being in a, on a in a position he had. You know, how many running backs have we had in the past who, you know, if they don't get the ball, they don't they just kind of jog up to the line. Like if he's not hustling that and doesn't make the smart play to knock it out of bounds instead of just you know tries to grab it instead, it's another one of those plays where an old team. An old Titans team could have easily, you know, just crumbled at that moment. So what I loved about the Titans scheme is this. Oftentimes when you hear the phrase, get our playmakers the ball in space, coaches think that means 
firing the ball at a guy's chest as soon as the ball is snapped with three people around him. That is not getting the ball to your playmakers in space. Doing that effectively requires creativity. And the Titans did that. The, the, the play to Corey Davis, the one that ended up in being a fumble out of bounds, that was a heck of a design. Like, mm-hmm. and, and even, you know, the, the Taewon Taylor touchdown was not a good design, but like even their bad designs were working. You know, uh, Corey Davis was in the slot for that one, wasn't he, for the screen pass? Yeah, I think sure. they ran. They, the the linemen like started pulling to the left, and then they came back to the right um, to block some of the, the the defensive back that Corey Davis was was being guarded by. It, it was really well designed. Yeah, Corey Davis is, and I know we talked about this when he was drafted or and, and whatever. But like Corey Davis is one of those players who is big and athletic and can do at least a little bit of everything. And we've talked about it many times in the show, you know, how we know that I'm a big Corey Davis fan. But it's because when he was at Western Michigan, whether they were playing Ohio State or whoever, like, or Michigan State or whoever, like, if you threw him a quick screen, it didn't matter who's in front of him. His athleticism and his understanding of leverage, like, he can get a guy on the ground, which, by the way, he buried a Texans defender with a stiff arm. Oh, yeah. We didn't even talk about it. Yeah, like – I, it feels like one of those plays where the guy had to kind of fake an injury a little bit later to be like, oh, that's why he stiff-armed me so hard is because I actually pulled my hamstring for a second, but I'm okay. Like, it was so embarrassing. Like, and it was all over social media, and it blew up. Mm-hmm. Because that's the kind of player he is when he's confident. And it, it doesn't do him many favors asking a thousand questions if his hamstring injury, but, you know, injured. But we've got to at this point, so I understand it. But, I mean, he's a guy that, you know – when he gets the ball and he gets a large amount of volume, he can do things like that. You know, he shouldn't be a guy who's only a boundary throw-it-up receiver, but uh, he can do that too. So hopefully, you know, once Mariota gets back, uh, hopefully that kind of turns into more of his game. Like they do more running him in the slot and giving him screen passes, quick passes, passes over the middle. They do more of everything with him, and he becomes a better, you know, true number one receiver. Yeah, the miscommunication aside in the in the Dolphins game with um with Mariota, um I think this has been actually a really good start for Corey Davis. Um I thought he played more than fine in the Dolphins game, and I thought in this game he he showed a little bit of the potential that we've been wanting to see from him. Um and I think the thing I'm most excited about is the fact that they're feeding him. He has 35 uh, 0.1% of the team targets, um and they're really treating him like the wide receiver one. Um, that could that could change maybe in the future if Rashard Matthews gets more incorporated into the offense and Taewon does also. Um, but they're really treating him like like the alpha dog um, in the receiver room, and I think he's going to respond once once Mariota's back and once Lu- Luan and Conklin are finally healthy. The alpha dog. And that that, like that, that 30, <laughs> what was that thirty one percent like thirty five point one percent of the team targets. That's including like Deion Lewis and tight ends and all that stuff. Like in terms of wide yeah. receivers, he is dominating target. That's the top four. That's the fourth best team target percentage in the league. Yeah, and, and I mean Corey it, it Davis. Only, yeah, no only way. Julio Jones, Michael Thomas, and DeAndre Hopkins have more have a bigger share of their team targets. That's insane. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like thirteen guys. in week one. So. Yeah, and a lot of it was like when the game was out of you know, reach and they were just kind of trying to quit, you know, go down the field and try to get position, which 
you know, if you're going to give him a big cushion whenever, he's going to eat it up and get a pass. So I, I don't know. Like, I, I think we've, I think I've been the most optimistic on what Corey Davis could be. And I think this is a good progression. But I mean, that's a great stat. Like, especially when you consider guys like Deion Lewis and, you know, We'll talk about this at some point later, but Taewon Taylor has to get more involved. Like yes. he's just too dynamic. And and Vrabel, to his credit, said we need to get Taewon Taylor more involved after nine snaps on offense. And then the first and only offensive touchdown of the game was a quick pass to him for a screen and a touchdown. So, I mean, it, it doesn't seem like he's blowing smoke. It seems like he realizes he's a good player too. And I, and I don't know. I can't say enough good things about this coaching staff yeah. after having my doubts after week one. I think he went up from from nine snaps week one to twenty four this week. Um, I mean, uh, that's fine, but I want I want to see him get even more, um, just because he's so dynamic with the ball in his hands. Um, yeah. And I, he he really does struggle at the catch point, um, especially when he's being contacted um, by by cornerbacks. Um, but if we could just get him the ball in space, like we like we've said before, um, just uh, like f- three to five times a game, um, it's really gonna gonna help the offense um, uh, move the ball more efficiently. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm kind of running out of topics. We've kind of hit this game pretty well and pretty quickly. You guys have anything else you want to uh, address about this game? Uh, yeah. Um, we should probably talk about, um, not talk about or just shout out, um, the Titans offensive line coach, Keith Carter. Um, he's clearly the best offensive line coach in the world, um, possibly in history, because if you can get Tyler Merritt and Kevin Pamphil to pretty much neutralize, um, the Houston Texans pass rush, I mean, you're, you're doing something right and you clearly know what you're doing. Um, so that was awesome to see. And then next week's surprise, he gets uh, Jack Conklin and Taylor Lewan as his yeah. tackles. Yeah. Like, that, that's, like, I, I don't want to get too much into the preview part of the podcast because we'll do that next, uh, later in the week. But, I mean, this offensive line being well coached with a creative offense that, you know, puts them at limited risk versus the Jacksonville defensive front is a really interesting matchup to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it was just an all overall good week for the Titans. Just everything, the coaching, all of it. After also, a terrible week. Yeah. Yeah. Also, something I found uh, kind of interesting, um, although we really didn't hear his name a lot, Johnny Smith played 100% of the snaps. So going forward, he is very clearly just the guy, and they're going to commit to him. Uh, going but, he did, but they, so, didn't, they didn't target him at all. I well, know, which was weird. They targeted him once, which is something else we should talk about. Uh, they targeted him once on that, uh, what would have been a quick screen pass to him, but got deflected back to Gabbert, which he did. Oh, yeah. Through, which, at first, it what seemed like a stupid, stupid play, and I was yeah. furious because I thought it was going to be the same thing as intentional grounding. I thought it was going to be a legal mm-hmm. pass or a legal double pass or whatever, and it was going to get him uh, a spot foul. Not only did it not was it not a spot foul, but they don't lose a down either. So essentially, it's like the same penalty as a false start. Which in that situation, when you're ten yards behind the line of scrimmage with the defender right in your face, that's a like 
I don't know how his brain thought that fast because how many times do you talk about that in meetings? Like how many times do you say, okay, but if this gets batted back to me and I have somebody in my face, what I'm going to do is this. He said it happened to him in his rookie year. Rookie year, yeah, which as we talked about earlier was seven years ago. Like so he (laughs) talked about that once in seven years and and I'm sure he's talked about it more than that and whatever, but like just like it's such an extreme case and in a game where – you need all the yardage you can get to get an easy go-ahead field goal, and you really need to be able to eat up as much clock as you can. That was a huge play, and it was a very good move by Gabbert, which is something I'm, I'm glad we kind of circled back to. But, yeah, that was the one time Jonu was targeted. Yep. Interesting. Um, I, I was just – it was very impressive what they did yesterday. Um that's going to do it for our recap episode. Happy to get to recap a win. Uh, we'll be back later this week to preview another divisional opponent in the Jacksonville Jaguars. And last thing before we head out, because this was a divisional game, this game for the Titans meant twice as much as the Dolphins game did. And they rose to the occasion, and they got the job done. And, I mean, they're to be commended for it. And next week, there's a good chance they get a real quarterback and an all-pro tackle and a Pro Bowl tackle. Uh, you don't think that's going to help? <laughs> Not to mention the Jaguars can't beat us, so. Should it's be so weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's really weird. <laughs> Honestly, like, how much difference is the, different is this than the offense we saw in terms of personnel from for most of the preseason games? Like, really, like, you get more snaps out of Corey Davis and Taewon Taylor, but – Offensive lines full of backups. Delaney Walker's not playing. Mariota didn't play. Like the Titans essentially took a preseason offense and beat the Texans. Yeah, they did. Mm-hmm. And they didn't. You know, I don't know that the Malarkey staff could have done that. No. Well, okay. Here, like while we're talking about it, I, real quick, the Malarkey staff would have just run the exact same game plan. And they wouldn't have had the guts to, you know, try it. Well, they might have tried stupid stuff, but they wouldn't have the guts com- combined with intelligence to do the, you know, fake punt pass. Apparently, that was checked into at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, by Byard. Like, they said that. Uh, and there's no, like, the Texans were asking for it. What in the world were they yeah, doing? Why yeah. did they not cover the gunner? It made no sense. Yeah, that was weird. But thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rabel said after, like, someone asked about it, he said, we just got tired of people not covering our gunners, so we just wanted to tell them that you're going to have to do that from now on. That's funny. I love Vrabel's aggressiveness, by the way. Going forward on fourth and one. I, I didn't like that. His so own much. half. Really? Yeah. I did. I would have punted. When it inches and you've had Tom, been around Tom Brady who gets every single court, you yeah. know, QB dive, like, I get it. I liked it. Yeah, I did too. In a game where you had to have those kind of plays, like you had to make some plays where it may not be the statistical smartest choice, but it's one of those plays where common sense tells you you have a good probability of getting it, even if you know it doesn't always make sense on the stat sheet. But I mean, they got those plays. That credit to like, them, like you said, aggressiveness but calculated. Yeah, that's you a can't smarter. Just go out so. and act like a fifth grader on Madden, or you just you know, no, no. And he said that. He he said, you know, we want to be smart, but we want to be aggressive, which is promised by a lot of coaches, but rarely delivered. I didn't think I didn't think the fourth and one was smart, but I loved the fake punt. I thought – because, I mean, you nailed it earlier in the week when we were t- kind of talking about this, Matias, when you said that, uh, you know, they have to get something on special teams if they want to win this game. 
And they did. They went out and they yeah. got it. I also said um, 20 passes to Deion Lewis and five <laughs> screens to Taewon Taylor. So I was a little off, but, you know. If you can run the ball 40 times and not turn the ball over, you're going to beat some teams. And yeah, they knew that, and they, they'll, you'll take it, exactly. Uh, so we'll be back later in the week. Uh, for Matias Wadner and Will Lomas, I'm Luke Warsham. Thank you for listening to the Titan Size Podcast. We will talk to everybody later in the week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.